Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here this morning. My name is Seth, uh, one of the pastors here. I'm uh, glad you guys are here. So if you guys are here in person, uh, if you're uh, a normal tender, friend of uh, one of the kiddos getting uh, dedicated, or if you're joining us online, we're glad that you guys are, are here. So uh, this last week, um, I had the, um, the privilege and honor, uh, some of you, you know this, uh, as a part of our uh, youth auction and fundraiser for the year, uh, I, my beard was auctioned off and um, I had to uh, shave in a monkey tail into uh, my face and wear it for the entire uh, week. <laughs> uh, you can find all those pictures and videos on Facebook if you'd like. I'm not going to show them today. Um, so, <laughs> guys, uh, I can't tell you, it, it, uh, it led to some really fun conversations. Um, but uh, but I, just because I think this is fun and because it's Spring Forward Day, we probably need to engage ourselves this morning just a little bit to kind of get going. Uh, I want you to give me um, some, your input, okay? Uh, thumbs up. I like the no beard. Um, here is I really have no preference. Down, I like the beard. Okay? Do it. Up, middle, down. Yeah. <laughs> this is so great. I'm, like I'm trying to take all this in. I'm trying to capture it in my mind. Um, it's so good. Yeah, these are like... Okay, so I love you um, all, each and every one of you. Uh, your opinion doesn't count. <laughs> so the only opinion that really counts uh, is, you, you think I might say mine, but it's not. It's my wife's, and then it's mine, right? So um, I honestly feel like maybe being fully clean-shaven is probably more rare of a sighting than having a monkey tail on my face. Um, so, um, yeah. So, um, on Tuesday night, um, you know, I said, well, I had said that, you know, having this monkey tail on my face led me to some, you know, unique conversations. And so, as I'm traveling through the week, wherever I went, and to coffee shops, and to stores, or wherever it was, uh, I would get to uh, engage in people's conversation. My whole point was just to really promote and, uh, the, the youth and next gen, but on also our Nicaragua trip, because that's who won the bid, was uh, the leader of that trip. So, but Tuesday night, we had our life group, uh, and, and I don't know if it was just the, the way the Holy Spirit spirit led that night or whatnot. Maybe it's just nobody could take me seriously uh, leading the group. It led us to some weird kind of strange conversations. Uh, one of those conversations was about childhood dreams. How many of you guys remember dreams from your childhood? Okay, a few of you. Well, actually, quite a few of you. That's pretty good. Um, I feel like, you know, for a lot of people, we don't remember our dreams a lot. Um, and so there are certain ones, though, that kind of get ingrained into our memory. And so as we're talking about dreams, uh, it kind of morphed into this idea of, like, nightmares. And what was this nightmare, like this recurring dream or nightmare that you have when you're a kid? Uh, and for me... Um, it was this dream, uh, and I had it started when I was a kid, and it kind of like shifted probably until like my early teens, but I would wake up um, in, this, in this dream. I would wake up, and I'd find myself in, in an infinite room, okay? So it's an infinite space. Everything is perfectly white, um, and you can kind of maybe like, maybe it's moving towards heaven. No, it's not, okay? Uh, what happens, I get out of bed, the bed is white, I'm like in white clothes, and, and the room is white, and, and I'm trying to, in this dream, like kind of adjust myself to this new reality um, and what's happening, and so it starts off fine, but then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I have, and I have no idea what traumatic event caused this like, to happen in my life, but out of nowhere, this, this skyscraper-sized ball of yarn enters into the dream, and it just starts to roll and chase me through an infinite space. Um, terrifying. Um, you're like, this is so weird. I know. Um, 
so whatever it was, like as it rolled, you know, like the string or the yarn kind of came undone, and at the end of that yarn was this just giant needle that was constantly like chasing me. Uh, and of like I, like I had a knitting like trauma. I don't know, you know, <laughs> what happened there. Um, but it was interesting. So and that that was mine. And then a couple other people. Ones was um, that uh, that they remember. What was it? Uh, they were as a kid. They had this dream where they're hiding in closets in their school because dinosaurs are running through the hallways. And it's kind of like, yep, you. You may have watched Jurassic Park just a quick too soon, you know. Um, another one this, one, this one was kind of odd and funny, and he said, I had this recurring nightmare um, that uh, I would, like, in this dream, I would just be talking, and then all of my teeth would fall out. <laughs> and I looked at him, I was like, that's super weird. And he goes, dude, it's super common. I was like, okay, man, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, okay, this is strange, right? These strange dreams. And so what, what happens in these, in these dreams, right, um, as, you're, as these nightmares are unfolding, because for me, I would wake up, and it wasn't even very long, I would wake up just drenched in sweat and just absolutely terrified, because as that dream is unfolding, what's happening in your brain is you're trying to adjust. You know it's not real, and yet it's t- telling you and tricking you that it's real, and there's, it triggers something inside of us, and it's the sense of death desperation, right? And it's really this idea of when will this be done? When will this be over? Uh, and when will, we, like, when will I actually wake up or when will it work itself out? Right? It's, just, it's just this desperation and fear, right? And I say all of that because when we think about Jeremiah, here's the transition. You look at Jeremiah's circumstances and you're kind of like, man, this is kind of like a bad dream, but the reality is, is that it's not, Everything that's happening to Jeremiah is fully real, and it's just a painful, hard, difficult, right, circumstance to ultimately uh, be in. It just, it wasn't a dream. We know that, but we have to wrap our minds around how difficult his life actually was, right? Uh, if you remember, the, the book of Jeremiah starts with uh, God, you know, calling um, Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is born into a priestly family, which you would think then that he's going to become a priest. He has probably, as a young guy, has all of these plans for life, right? This is what I want life to look like, and yada, 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 yada. God is, enters into the story and says, here's the deal, Jeremiah, I have uniquely formed you. Uh, and I have uniquely called you, and I have given you a unique purpose in this life, okay? And we look at that, and we go, it's easy to just to throw that onto Jonah, or excuse me, onto Jeremiah, but the reality is, is that that's actually for each and every person in this room, is that we have a unique calling, a unique design, and a unique calling to, to be God's workers where he has placed us. So it's a really, really cool and empowering type of vision, right? Um, but for Jeremiah, right, he's, he's born to be a priest, and yet God says, I want you to be a prophet. And a prophet's primary role in life is to call people back into right relationship with God. And so you would think, you know, maybe on the forefront, um, if you didn't read the story, if you don't know the story, you'd think, wow, this is an honor to be God's mouthpiece. It's a, it's a tremendous honor uh, to, be, to be the mouthpiece of God. But then it, the God comes back and he kind of sets the bar for Jeremiah. He's like, Jeremiah, here's the deal. Uh, you're going to preach for 40 years and no one's ever going to listen to you. Whew, it's like deflating, right? Uh, it's, not a, it's not a fun spot to be, right? Um, and oftentimes, because of this judgment that he's preaching, he finds himself at the tip of a spear, right? Sometimes that's a literal spear. Like his life is threatened, he's thrown into prison, right? He's beaten uh, on multiple occasions. Um, and maybe it's just an emotional thing too, because he's always at the tip of this emotional cursing. People like hate Jeremiah for being the guy who keeps doing and saying all these things, right? So he's at the tip of the spear. Very, it's like bad dream, but it's real, 
right? Bad dream, uh, but it's real. And on top of all of that, um, what we enter into in chapter 16 this morning, we're just going to look at a couple of verses uh, in chapter 16, and then we'll do s- and just a couple of verses in 17. But chapter 16 starts with these words. The word of the Lord came to me, you shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. So it's like, God says, here's the plan I have for you. And if you're Jeremiah, you go, wow, this is not the way that life is supposed to be. This is not the story that I would have written for myself. In fact, I had all these plans. Here's what I, I thought the life was going to look like. And God enters in that story and says, here's the, the tough news. It's going to be different than you want it to be. Right? And that's where it starts with this. Right? And what's true for Jeremiah is actually true for all of us, that when life doesn't go our way, we find ourselves in this tension. And the tension is between the reality of the way that the world actually is and fantasy, the way that I want the world to be. Do you ever find yourself in this tension? Have you ever found yourself in this tension the last two years? <laughs> right? This is the way the world is, and yet this is the way that I would like the world ultimately to be. And when we're in this space, in between these two things, um, what happens is that it causes tons and tons and tons of anxiety. And I'm not talking about like doctor and diagnosed anxiety or depression. I'm talking about everyday, normal life anxiety. It, it, just, it just fuels anxiety, right? And I was looking at uh, kind of different quotes from this over this last week as to find something, um, right? Because really, this is all about the future, the way that the, the future is unfolding. And one of those quotes says this. He says, my anxiety uh, doesn't come from the future. My anxiety comes from wanting to control the future, right? It's not necessarily the unknown that's the scary part. It's that I have no control over what that that future is. And it may not be the way that I want it to be. In fact, if you go back to the whole dream thing, right, psychologists will will say that these these types of dreams that happen in our life oftentimes come out of a place of stress. Have you had that the last two years? Yep. Um, They come out of a place of loss where you're grieving the loss of something. Have you had that the last two years? Yeah. Um, And they come out of this space sometimes where it's just emotionally we're wrestling because we have no control in life. There's a lack of control in life, and so anxiety just, just stirs out of that. Before the pandemic, um, one out of five people uh, struggled uh, with anxiety. Uh, after the pandemic, through the pandemic, it skyrocketed to one in two. One in two people. So you're like, hey, that's me. <laughs> I'm experiencing tons of anxiety right now. And whatever it's for, whatever reason, you know, uh, maybe it's within your control, maybe it's not, but like there's, there's so many people in this room who'd say, I, that's me. And if that's not you, the chances are, if you look to the right or to the left, you'll find someone who is. Like that's how much anxiety there is in the world right now because there's this lack of control, right? This lack of control. It's, just, it's just very, very, very prevalent. And so I want to say this, and this is redundant. I know this is redundant, but I want you to hear this because this is, this is real. The reality is, is that every single person longs for a new reality. Every person, right? The reality is, is that every person longs for a new reality. Because here's the deal. Life is never so good in life that there's not something that you would want changed. 
There's always things, like, like no moment you're like, gosh, like this, everything is absolutely perfect. You, know, you might say that, but then you might go, if you start thinking about it, you're like, but that's not, but that's not, but that's not. Change, 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 right? We would all want to have that type of control, and we all want some type of change. Now, with the way the Bible teaches, and for us, as, for Christians, if you place your faith in Christ, we know that heaven is ultimately our future. Like, that's what we long for. Um, that's what we are designed for, right? That's what we're at least made to long for, what we're designed for. But if we're honest, and I, and I say this truthfully, if we're honest, what we long for, the future that you and I long for most, is typically not generated by heaven, the future, if we're honest, the future that you and I long for most is not a heavenly version of that story, it's an earthly version of that story. It's us saying, this is what I want my future to look like, and this is, how I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to do to control that. And it's a, it's a creation uh, of our own doing, of our own work. This is what we long for most. And every day we grasp at it, right? And we try to control it, and then that fails. And so the next day, and then the next day, and the next day, and it just keeps going over and over and over. And then what we do is that we find ourselves in this tension between reality, reality and fantasy, constantly in this tension, between the way that the world is and the way that I want the world to be. That's the tension that we face over and over and over. And it can feel, guys, it can feel like a bad dream. It can feel like, when will this, like, it's, there's this, right, it's just this anxiety and the readiness for it to be over. It can feel like a bad dream. There's this desperation where we say, when will this end and when will the new begin? Right? That's, it's constantly going through our hearts and our minds. And you throw in a long, cold, hard winter on top of that? <sighs> Man, I feel like my attitude, can I just be honest, right? My attitude and energy is doing this rapidly right now. You know, that's why I need to get into some sun, right? It's just hard. It's painful. And so my hope is this morning, and what Jeremiah is going to do, is that what we need to do is that we need to interrupt, interrupt the narrative. We need to interrupt this woe is me story for, for, a, for a bit, okay? We're going to interrupt that woe is me narrative, and we're going to interject some hope. And, and God does this um, all through the Bible. He does it fairly infrequently in Jeremiah, because the bulk of Jeremiah is hard stuff. But we're going to get a glimpse of what God says is true about their future. And so what he's doing is he's altering, helping us, inviting us to perceive the future differently, to reorient our mind around his idea of the future, not ours, reorient our minds around his idea of the future so that we can embrace and live actively in the present. Does that make sense? All right, let's dive uh, in uh, to chapter 16. We're going to start with um, verse 14. Uh, here's what it says. It says, therefore, behold, the days are coming. Okay, let's just stop, the, stop there. It declares the Lord, right? Um, anytime, um, anytime that happens, it kind of leads you to a cringeworthy spot, okay? So if we were to put this up on our board, right? Behold, the days are coming, right? Right? Um, 
when, when you hear this, like it starts with the word therefore because it really it means that God is continuing to work out his plan and there's this cool like awe factor like behold, like talk about God, like behold, when he says that, it's kind of like it draws our attention. But he says days are coming. He's reorienting our minds around the future. And this is a somewhat cringy statement if you're Jeremiah or if you're maybe us who have been through a lot this last two years because this could be either really good or it could be really bad. And let's just be honest, which one do we probably tend to lean towards? We probably think worse, right? But it could be like, like this, like bold days are coming. Maybe for us, is like in our situation, it's like maybe there's more COVID on the way. Maybe there's more war, right? Which, by the way, like you throw Ukraine uh, and, and the Russia like debacle onto the story for us. I don't know how many people I've talked to in this last week whose anxiety is through the roof because there's no control in this. It's so hard. It's so, so painful, right? What is it? The whole days are coming. Maybe it's a good thing, you know? Maybe it's the, even just small things. Like this last week, we found out that the Major League Baseball like, came out of lockout. And I was like, huh, we're back to semi-normalcy. I gotta watch baseball this year, you know? Or maybe it's like, for some people, it's just like, oh, the new Star Wars trilogy is coming out, you know? And it interjects hope into us because it's bringing things back to normal. We don't know what this is saying, but what we do know from this, what we're reminded for, about this is that for every single one of us in this room, we are constantly moment to moment, moving from the known to the unknown. Like right now. Right now. Right now. We could just do that over and over and over, right? We're constantly moving from what is known into the unknown. And what this causes us to see and to remind ourselves is that you and I, as much as we would like to control the narrative of the story, cannot do that. Right? This is only within God's power and only within God's strength to do this. Right? This is his story, not our story. He's always been the main character. We've always been the minor characters in a much larger narrative. Right? This is his story, not my story. That is a reality, as a reality for this. And so what it does for us, though, is that it puts us in this place of tension because life can feel like a bad dream. Because we could say, this is the way that God is working right now, but I'd rather him work like this. And so we find ourselves in this tension between the way the world is and the way that we'd like the world to be. And it's over and over. This is a daily thing. And it's a painful thing for us because we have little to no control over any of that, right? At the end of the day, what you and I can do as humans is basically just prepare ourselves for tomorrow, whatever that is. Right? Most specifically, here how we talk about that is engaging in cave table road rhythms. Right? Engaging in Jesus-like rhythms that are transforming your heart, that prepare you to live in whatever future God has in store for us tomorrow. That's all I can really do at the end of every day, right? Is to live that out and to pass that along to other people. And so what God is doing is that he's reorienting our minds as readers around the future. Behold, days are coming, he says. So what does he say next? He says, 
Days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought up the people out of Israel, or of Israel, out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Guys, this is a story. Remember, this is a story about a group of people who came into a land that God had promised them, and under the rulership or headship, leadership of Joshua, right, they conquer all these people, they distribute all of the land, but as they live in this reality, what happens is that they exchange the glory of God for the created. And so idolatry enters into the story, uh, and because of that idolatry, God separates them from that reality, and he creates a new reality. He says, I'm going to take you out of this place, and I'm going to send you into exile way over here. Right? And this is going to be your new reality. This is the way that life is actually going to be for you. Right? And that's a painful thing. So when God shows up in the story and says, by the way, I will bring you back, the Hebrew word is like restore. I will restore you. And you're like, oh, that is a beautiful future. After all the hardships we've suffered, that is a beautiful future. God, when are you going to do that? How about tomorrow? How, okay, not tomorrow. How about next week? Okay, no, not next week. Okay, I'm, get, I'm, I'm with you. Next month. Next year? 70 years. They're, they're in exile. It's hard. It's long. And so what God says to these people who are in exile, he says, listen, I have a beautiful future for you, and it's going to restore you, but I also have a present reality for you. And that's leading us to Jeremiah 29 because he speaks to all of these people who are actually living in exile. They've been taken, Jerusalem and the temple have been destroyed, and he takes them all the way into exile, into Babylon, and he says, here's the deal, I'm going to send you back over there in the future, but right now, for this time, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build houses, and I want you to plant gardens. I want you to take sons, or I want you to take wives, take husbands, and I want you to give your sons and your daughters away as husbands and as wives. And he says, pray for the city of where you are. Forget about Jerusalem for right now. Pray for Babylon and seek its welfare because in its welfare, that's where you're going to find your welfare. That's a present reality. Look at that reality. That's the, he says, like, I'm going to restore you. That's the future. But here's where I want you to jump in, right here, right now. And it's this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture, right? That's our hope. That's their hope. That's the hope of Judah, right? But here's the reality is that just because God's going to do those doesn't mean he doesn't still bring judgment. You can't escape that. There's still got to be punishment for the sins and the idolatry of the people. And so he dives in in chapter 17, verse 1, to this condition of the human heart. And here's what he says. He says, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of diamond it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars, while their children remember their altars and their ashram beside every green tree and on the high hills. Okay, let's just stop there for a second and you go, okay, what's happening here? Well, maybe we can simplify that, maybe not. Okay, 
So what he says is he's talking about the sin of Judah. The sin of Judah is this reference to idolatry, right? He says this is the, the main thing. When he talks about this, this is what he's going to. We're not talking about simple sin. We're talking about the, the exchange of the glory of the creator for the created. It's idolatry. And he says that it's written on with a pen of iron. It's written with a pen of iron. Now, when you think of a pen, when we think of a pen, we think of this, this nice little easy pen. Okay, scratch that. That's not going to do for this imagery. It doesn't fit, okay? What it is, is it's actually a tool made from iron. It's like a chiseling tool. It would have looked kind of like a large uh, nail, um, kind of like this, and it has this end over here to kind of hammer on, and this would be chiseling. And it's not in wood, it's not in flesh, right? This is, this is made and designed to chisel into rock, okay? So he says it's written with a pen of iron, that's what he's talking about. So it's not easily erased when something's engraved in, not, not easily erased. But then he adds, he said, but also he says that it's engraved with the tip of a diamond. I don't know. I, I don't really know how to do a diamond, but there it is. Um, he says it's engraved with the tip of the diamond. In Hebrew, this word just means flint. It means something like a really, really hard object, but it's possible that diamonds existed in that space uh, because it's, they're incredibly hard, and so Jeremiah's maybe using that to reference uh, the, the hardness of the way that this is actually being inscribed into rock, okay? Remember this. Um, there's a group, um, a group of people that I, I enjoy watching on YouTube. Uh, their name's Dude Perfect. It's, they're really fun. You can go check them out at another time. Um, but they actually did a, a thing once where they had a jeweler bring in a diamond, um, and, and they, this, diamond, this diamond guy with all confidence gave them a diamond, they put it on an anvil, and he allowed them to hit it with a sledgehammer. And I'm like, that's so precious. Why would you ever do that? <laughs> And yet every single time, no matter how hard they hit it, it never even scratched the diamond. That's how hard what it is we're talking about. What's being engraved is adamant. It feels permanent. It's strong. Okay? Very challenging. So where are they writing it? It says that they're, they're being inscribed on the tablets of our hearts, right? Remember the Ten Commandments, right? They're like these stone tablets. Uh, I'm going to do this. Right? It's, it's really on the tablet of their hearts. This is where it's being inscribed. This is, this is the adamancy. This is the hardship of that. Right? But not only that, um, this is going to test, test my art skills here for a second. This is like, a, like an altar. Right? Um, and on the top of that altar are these, these four horns. Uh, and what they do is that they hold uh, the fire in, in place so that they can burn the sacrifice. And when the sacrifice is done and, and, and over, they take the blood from the sacrifice and they smeared it all over these horns. And so in their mind, what that's symbolizing is that the, the wrath of the gods has been exhausted. It's this fancy word in the Bible called propitiation, right? It's the exhausting of God's wrath. And so what God says is not only is it being inscribed on the tablet of their heart, this, this rock heart, he says every time you do a sacrifice and you spread the blood, you think that it symbolizes your forgiveness, but what's really happening is that you're chiseling and engraving into those horns your sin and your punishment. It's actually doing the opposite of what you think it's going to do. 
Do you see what I'm saying? Right? This is, this is it. So we're not talking about simple sin. We're talking, right, it's, it's, it's not like getting frustrated with your spouse or getting frustrated with a roommate or maybe like a small fib somewhere, right? We're not talking about simple sins here. We're talking about the exchange of the glory of God, right? And that's the idolatry. As we're saying, this is, this is very, very deep. It's very, very hard. It's very, very painful, okay? And it's on, written on the, the tablet of the human heart and on the altars. But here's the kicker in the story, is that the people in the story, they think everything's okay. They think everything's fine. And they're like, God, like we've, not, we've done nothing wrong. And if God were sarcastic, if I were like in that shoe, I would be like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, are you serious? Look at everything you're doing. You know? This is, this is the reality. They think everything is fine. And here's what's dangerous about this, is that the text tells us that even their kids remember it. Even their kids. So this has been embraced by the whole of society. It's not just the grown-ups, it's the kids as well. It's the entire next generation. They have no clue that what they're doing and what they're in is either right or wrong, because it's just normal for them. This last week, uh, Nikki and I were at a coffee shop doing uh, paperwork for uh, adoption round two, which is always super fun. Um, and uh, and it was, I was typing up an answer. One of the questions was, um, what were some of the traditions that you have, you had as a family growing up? And so it made me think about all these things, right? Like my parents did and the things that we, we were passing along and then what Nikki's parents did and, and what we together are trying to pass down to Eden. And it started forcing me to think about this passage, right? Because there's this, there's this passing on type of a thing. And so as a dad, it terrifies me to think that I might pass on something to Eden that's bad and wrong, right? That terrifies me. And so then I start thinking about, like, as a pastor, what do we as a church want to collectively pass on to the next generation, right? And it makes me think as a senior pastor, right? Even more so, what are the things that as a large C church that we need to be handing off to the next generation? Guys, it is impossible. When you look at these kids up here, which is incredible. This is so awesome, so fun to watch. When you get these cute little kids up here, guys, it's, it's impossible not to think about the future. It's impossible not to think, gosh, what, what's next for them and what can we give them? And so I ask myself this question, like, like, are we, am I, and are we passing on the full scope of Jesus? Are we passing on, um, you know, or are we just passing on maybe the, the, the fun stuff, like the salvation by grace through faith, and then kind of outside of that, you do whatever you want? Or maybe we, we tell them, like, you go to church and read your Bible, blah, 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 right? Right? And so these things... Are we giving them the full scope of Jesus that includes the people that Jesus would go minister to, the hard people that God has called us to love that we don't want to love? Are we passing down the full scope of Jesus? And another question is, are we telling them to do that or are we teaching them to do it by inviting them into our lives and saying, watch me, let's do this together? It's a totally different thing than to say, hey, you should be reading your Bible. Do they see you reading your Bible? Are you doing it together, right? There's these, these things that we want to pass down, which leads Jeremiah to a place of confession in this story, right? Because Jeremiah had it wrong. Jeremiah was saying, God, the story that you are creating right now that you are writing is not the story that I would write. This feels like a bad dream. So he begins just to kind of cycle in this middle spot and complain and complain and complain. And eventually he changes his attitude 
And here is his confession. He says, in light of all of this stuff, here's what I've learned. Check out verse 9. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things. (laughs) This is what Jeremiah says about himself. He says, my heart, this is my confession, my heart is deceitful above anything else. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's desperately sick, right? This is, this is what he's talking about, this heart, right? And we have this idea, when we think about a heart, we kind of get this idea of this fluffy image, right? The Valentine's Day cards and all that type of stuff, right? And it moves us into this place where we go, gosh, this is just made up fiction in a lot of ways. Because what the heart is doing at times is that it's saying that it, it will tell you all the lies that it wants to tell you because it is trying to create a world of its own making, a future of its own making. That's what the heart is about. And so it's a huge lie. And this is like something our culture is built on. Follow your heart. It's a huge lie. Just follow your heart. Just do whatever. You think like lack of, control, lack of control is bad in life? I, I would tell you that lack of control is not bad because the alternative is that you're relying on your human heart and it's going to lead you into worse places, right? Lack of control right there, right? The human heart, it's incurable. And so what he's saying is that this is the core issue, right? This is the core issue here. It's not just the issue of this idolatry and that's being engraved onto the rock heart. He's saying, no, you have a rock heart. That's the biggest problem. You and I, as human beings, apart from Jesus, have a rock heart. And he says, out of that, though, there are these two options. And he gives us this in verse 5. Listen to this. He says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. How many of you listen to that or read that and go, hey, honey, that's our next vacation spot. Let's go there. That sounds fun. Here's the alternative. Listen to this. He says, blessed, though, is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Right? So we look at this. We come back here as we wrap this up, right? So there's this, there's this easy connection, right? This idolatry is written on the stone tablet of our hearts. What Jeremiah says in 9 through 10, right, is that the core issue is your heart. And it's in this space, though, knowing that this is at the core, this is the center, you have these two options, right? Your heart's going to continue to lie to you, so just know that most naturally you're going to want to choose yourself. You're going to want to build your future the way that you want to build it, not the way that God wants to. So first option, right, is super easy, right? It's the man who trusts in himself, right? You got this guy. He wants to trust, so what does he do? His trust uh, comes all the way back to himself. This is a problem, right? Because this is what's guiding it, right? And he says, when you do that, guess what? You're going to be like a tiny shrub, in the wilderness, and it's going to be hard and painful, and this is going to fuel more and more and more and more anxiety if you continue to trust yourself. He says the alternative, though, if you come over here, right, the alternative is this guy, right? This guy knows better. He knows that the answer is not in himself, so where is the answer? As Christians, we would say it's right here, right? And this 
is the only thing, the cross, by the way, if you didn't catch that, right? The cross is the only thing that can make this different, make this better, right? And this guy says, I don't put my trust in myself. I put my trust in the Lord. And when I do that, it's like I'm planting myself next to a stream and I can become this beautiful, fruitful tree. You catch that? I want you to take a look at these pictures, right? This first picture um, is uh, of the wilderness. Much of uh, Israel looks a lot like this. This is out. You can see the Dead Sea in the back, so there's kind of that salty kind of a, you know, environment to it, and you look out and you go, wow, like there's really not a whole lot there. Um, and you look at this and you see the little shrubs, that little line of green shrubs in the back, because that's really all that can exist. So do you keep, are you keeping your, your attitude here that this is where you want to go for vacation? I want to go there. Because that's what happens when we trust ourselves. Next one is this. Now, how many of you would say, I would go there for vacation? Yeah, right? This is a, this is a spot just southwest of the Sea of Galilee in kind of northwestern Israel. It's called Gan Hashalaha. Uh, and uh, it's this beautiful, beautiful water. It's just the green grass and uh, just, just blooming trees. It's just fruitful. And we go, this is possible, right? This is possible. Let's keep this up here for a second because as we end with this, guys, both of these trees, both the shrub and the tree experience drought in the story. The word for plant, if for the person who trusts in the Lord, it's the person who's planted by streams, who's planted by water that can be this tree, the word in Hebrew is actually transplanted. And so when you think about it, you go, gosh, that's me over there right now. Guess what? All it might take is a little transplant to bring you over here. And the key word is trust. Who or what are you putting your trust in? And it's a simple thing, but God invites us into that, and he says, your life will be far better when you trust me than when you trust yourself. And when I think about this, guys and gals, there are tons and tons of people experiencing anxiety in the world right now because they're in that space, and I go, gosh, what if we were a group of people who were planted besides that? if we were a group of people that were planted by that beautiful spring, by those waters, right? And here's just maybe something to leave with as we finish with this. It says this, uh, or just a big idea. Um, Behold, like, days are coming. The future is on its way, right? God is at work, and you have the choice. Do you trust him? But you can. Behold, days are coming. You can trust the Lord. And as simple uh, as that is, we know it's incredibly hard. But again, I, I just urge us to fight for this because it's impossible to hold kids on stage and to not think about the future to not think about what we want to pass down to them, right? And so we need to interrupt the woe is me and interject some hope because God is on the move. And so here's what I just want to end. Just be excited. Don't be fearful of the future. Be excited of the future. Be excited for it and trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we uh, wrap up our time this morning, I know we've got a song and just a couple of quick updates, but Lord, I just pray that for us this morning that if we have ears to hear, 
that we would hear, eyes to see, that we would see that you are up to something uh, and that we have the opportunity to be invited. We are invited. We have the opportunity to join into a work that you are doing. And yet we know as human beings at the center of this is our tension that sometimes what you're doing and what you ask us to do is different than what we want the world to look like. And so would you call us into repentance? Would you call us into confession? And would you draw us to the cross who is the only and the only place in the person and the works of Jesus who can transform our hearts, who can make the old into something new. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would follow you with all of our hearts. You know me pray. Amen.